And did you know that this podcast is an independent production? That's right. The Eric Norcross podcast is an indie podcast. And because of that, we depend on listeners like you to help support the show. The best way to become a supporter is to become a patron. Patreon is a membership platform that allows creators to develop a more sustainable source of financial support for their projects. My Patreon supports this podcast. If you find this podcast worthwhile, please consider becoming a patron by heading over to the Patreon link in the description. That's patreon.com slash Eric Norcross. Again, patreon.com slash Eric Norcross, and the link will be in the description. Thank you, and on with the show. All right, I'll count that down and go from there. Five, four, three, two. I love your podcasts and uh, thank you. It makes sense for us to talk because uh, I'm it, the, the everybody I invite. I'm I'm always interested in their work and who and if I'm interested in your work, I'm also interested in who you are and that's sure. basically the gist of the show. Um, oh, I'm also uh, kind of the open secret on this show too. Even though it's not a paranormal podcast, is I love the paranormal. I think it's. Uh, it's the subject of the 21st century. And I was, tearing, I was telling uh, Terry Lovelace last week, uh, I think that UFOs, for example, are going to end up being the most important subject of this century. Could be. Uh, Could be. Because if, if, if they're real and, uh, you know, we are being visited, that changes pretty much everything. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, too. I just found this guy on Twitter. Uh, I'm going to try to get him on at some point. Uh, he's he's very elusive, but he he's a self-proclaimed abductee, and his tweets are just descriptions of the process used in abductions, the interior huh. of the ships, and then hypothesizing the different technological aspects. So he'll have one thread about why the light they that you see isn't actually light as we know it. I'm like that is fascinating. And that is fascinating. This he's, he's a guy you're probably going to want to talk to. Uh, this morning, he tweets out about these. They're almost like caskets aboard the ships that he says he's seen, and they're filled with like a yellow green liquid, and inside it is where they'll put greys who have to be have to go into stasis as punishment for not complying with an order. And I'm like, that's huh. really interesting. What's his? Do you mind if I ask yeah, what his yeah. Twitter handle is? Sure. Uh, well, I'll have to email it to you because I just shut my phone off. But Oh, no, no problem. Um, what was interesting, though, about that particular tweet was it was immediately followed by, okay, after tweeting that, I just got a call from a government number. And uh, on the other end was a guy claiming to be a colonel asking me to take down my tweets. And I'm like, that is really interesting. Keep them coming, brother. Keep them coming. Yeah. <laughs> That is interesting. That is. I'm just re-listening to the Mothman prophecy, so that kind of reminds me a little bit of that. 
So, uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But behavior is everything. If they're telling you to take it down, there's something to it. Yeah. That reminds me of John Keel when they kept when they said the men in black would keep asking people about the one reporter in West Virginia. They said, well, what would she say if somebody told her to stop doing her articles on UFOs? And they seemed obsessed with this one question. And it sounds really familiar to that or similar to that. Yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about you for a moment. I'm interested in your what your childhood was like, how you got into to the paranormal subject. Uh, you're sort of the house expert on this. And by the house, I mean all podcasts. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I don't know about <laughs> I, that, but that's, that, that's very that's kind my of you to say. Um, so can you talk talk a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, I came by it pretty honestly. Um, you know, my parents weren't particularly uh, interested in the paranormal or anything like that. But I started off, I would say, with Leonard Nimoy and In Search Of when I was a little kid. And I, by little kid, I mean like a little kid, like in elementary school in the 70s. Uh, so I'm dating myself. And uh, I love that show. And just watching that show kind of always instilled in me this idea that um, there was something more out there, something we couldn't explain. And in, sometimes people confuse that for a disregard of science or anything like that. Quite to the contrary. I think science does great things. We're doing something now that uh, used to be the purview of and some of your listeners will know who this is, the purview of Ted Koppel in the 80s. You know, you need a satellite. And now we can do it from our homes or our home studios. And uh, so I'm a big fan of science. But there's still this area of stuff that we can't quite explain. And it's always held a fascination for me. And it went to my adult years, you know, like so many people listening to Art Bell and Coast to Coast AM. It doesn't mean that I believed every single thing I heard on the show, but I was fascinated by it. And um, how that turned <clears throat> how that turned into podcasting for me was in 2005, I'd gone to school to be a, a broadcaster to, to probably more television than radio, actually. And I ended up working on the advertising side. So I was a little frustrated. I'm like, here I am in my 30s. I went to school to be on air and I'm selling ads, uh, which, by the way, turned out to be a blessing in disguise. And uh, I said, you know what? I heard about this. This is 2005. I've heard about this new brand new thing called podcasting. And uh, I guess people are doing it from their houses. So I got myself a $40 headset and plugged it into my not very good uh, Windows computer, probably running like Windows XP or, <laughs> or something at the time, and uh, just started doing shows. And then and I, I thought, oh, what am I going to call it? It's a podcast, and it's about the paranormal. Ah, the paranormal podcast. So that tells you how early it was I got that name and uh, got the trademark on it, too. And uh, But anyway, the, the, the point being that the podcast came from not from a business point of view. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to create a podcast and be able to podcast full time. Really, at that point, 
there really was nobody podcasting full time. Maybe Dawn and Drew. I don't know. That's a very early podcast. But for the most part, nobody was podcasting full time. You did it for the love of it. And that's why I did because I was fascinated by these questions. And I got to tell you, the funny thing is, I started in 2005. It was the Paranormal Podcast, the interview show, which I still do. And uh, along with Campfire, which is probably my most popular podcast of spooky stories from listeners. But I thought, man, this will be great. I'll do this for six months and I'll have all the answers. And uh, let's see here. What is that? Looking at the clock on the wall, it's 17 years and almost and I don't have any answers. Really, I have more questions than I ever have. So that's how it happened for me. It was an outgrowth of a genuine interest that uh, I had since I was a kid. Yeah, well, at some point, I, I was going to have a talking point about like about answers uh, because every everyone I ask who's interested in this, hey, with all the stories you've heard, have you ever been able to glean some some idea of reality proper? I guess because I'm of the opinion that we don't understand reality as it truly I agree. is, uh, and. Everybody says the same thing. All I have is more questions, bro. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Exactly. Now, I do. I'm more convinced than ever that the paranormal exists and that things that we can't explain exist more than I've ever been. What those things specifically represent, I don't know. I mean, you know, are ghosts really dead people or are they tulpas or are they, you know, just some kind of replay? I don't know. Uh, are UFOs aliens or are they something else? I don't know. I tend to think that they're at least some of them are of alien uh, lineage, but I don't know. So, I mean, yeah, I hate to add to that chorus of. I don't know, but I think sometimes when people say, I know all the answers, I've got it all figured out. I, I don't know if you really do. Yeah. Well, I think it's healthier to say I don't know because, you know, time and time again, I do wonder about, I'm okay with, you know, conjecture and hypotheses and whatnot, but to say it is this or it is that. It is right. ETs. It is interdimensional. I think recently there was a gentleman on who it was a very good interview, but he 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 believed that they were humans from the future. And I'm like, okay, what, is, right. what makes you say they're humans from the future? Tell me. Right. And um, it it doesn't seem. I'm, I'm very into mental wellness, and it just doesn't seem good for the mind to just assume that any one thing about it. I love, I don't know. I think that's yeah. a sign of maturity. And I, I think honestly, it's okay for people to have theories. As long as you say, this is my theory. This is what I believe. If you, I think a big problem and I'm not getting into politics and all that, but I think that people have lost the ability to say the phrase in my opinion. You know, if people, just people would say, in my opinion more, I think we'd be a lot better off as a whole world. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, we can kind of take going down, for example, the Stanton Friedman route, who Stanton Friedman totally believed that they were physical craft and they were people in it. And he had reasons he believed that. A very erudite man. 
Um, nothing wrong with that, as long as you say, in my opinion. You know, uh, and I think that's an important thing that we all have to, when we're dealing with these big questions, I think we have to have a certain amount of humility and, and realize that the questions are so much bigger. I mean, I always wondered, oh, will there be an answer before, you know, the end of my days? And looking at the clock on the wall, you know, I might, if I'm lucky, have 25, 30 years left, if I'm lucky. Uh, and I don't think there's going to be an answer before I check out. <laughs> I think I do believe in an afterlife, and I think that we'll get some of the answers on that other side. But in terms of um, getting getting answers within my lifetime, uh, maybe within your lifetime, but I, I, I don't know if we'll get those answers within my lifetime. Sorry, my cat keeps interrupting. That's all right. I have two dogs, so I know. So what has changed between the, the, the year you started, 05, and now? Uh, how has your voice in this medium shifted? Do you ever think about that, your approach to things? I think particularly when I'm dealing with authors and experts, and, and I use experts in the sense that they're no, kind of to our point, there's no true experts in the sense that I don't think anybody has all the answers. But there's certainly people who have expertise about these things and know the history. But I think when I very first started, I'm like, oh, they wrote a book on this. They must know the answer. And now I think even though I try to, you know, although, you know, I did have some journalism training in college and so forth and broadcasting, I don't consider myself a true journalist. I mean, I didn't go to J school or anything like that. And I always try to maintain a little bit of distance and, and uh, you know, treat authors respectfully and even handedly, even if they have what some might be considered outrageous theories. I like to treat them with respect and let the audience decide on those. But but I have kind of gotten out of a little bit of like, oh, they must know the answer. They wrote a book. You know, when I first started, it's like, oh, they wrote a book on this. They must know all the answers. And now it's uh, still very respectful. But give us your thoughts on, on what you believe. Because I remember years ago before I started podcasting, listening to Art Bell, who I – believe that anybody who does a podcast or a radio show in these kind of formats owes him a great debt of gratitude. He's kind of like the Johnny Carson of our genre. You know, he kind of, I mean, I know there were some people before who dabbled in it, but he really was the the man. And I used to think, how can he believe all these people or how can he believe all the theories they talks to because uh, or, or is commu- are communicated on his show because the one conflicts with the other. And the answer is just because you interview someone when it comes to authors and experts doesn't mean that you have to agree with their theory on something. But I think hearing them out is not a bad idea, even if at the end of the day you say, no, nah, I don't think that's right. So I think uh, I'm a little less awestruck by experts. Uh, uh, I think the biggest thing is, is I'm more convinced than, than ever that something's going on. But again, I'm I'm not, I'm not sure what. Now, uh, just to be clear, when I interview people, I kind of look at it in two different directions. You have the authors and experts I interview for the paranormal podcast and some of my plus shows. Those are people who have written books and, and so forth. I view those interviews differently than experiencers. Um, you know, a big part of why I do is interview people who have experienced something strange. 
and those people, I, the vast majority of them, I believe, are being very sincere and very real in what they're sharing. Now, does that mean they really experienced something paranormal? Does it mean it's possible that uh, maybe they're mistaken or maybe there is a normal um, kind of uh, explanation for a supposedly paranormal event? That's always possible. Um, But I always try to respect very much those people's stories and go in with the mindset, I'm believing this person and what they say. And I really do believe the vast, vast majority of those people are being 100% sincere as how they perceived the events that they share on on that show. But I guess how I've changed is I'm more, (laughs) it's weird. I'm more of a believer and I'm more of a skeptic, but in different ways. I mean, I, I, I have no doubt. And, and, and to, going back to what you said, you don't think we understand the nature of reality. I think you hit it on the head there 110%. I think that the world is so much weirder than we imagine. Kind of the example that I use, I think about like one of these old stately manors that has like a, a library in it. Okay, it's one of these big, huge libraries, all the fancy furniture, like Downton Abbey kind of style stuff going on. And the door is closed. And we are like a person who comes to the door and the door is closed and we look through the keyhole. And it's like one of those old skeleton keys where you can actually see into the room and you see that there's a few leather bound volumes. You can kind of get what the room is. That's what we see of reality. And what really is of reality is what books are on the shelves and what's within those hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of books. So that's how far we are from what reality really exists. So when it comes back to the question of respecting science and believing in science, I do respect science and I think it's great. I think it only explains a fraction of reality. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, uh, and it's the reason too, why I, on my podcast, I'll have, I'll have like community college professors talking about the standard model of physics, but I'll also have people like Avi Loeb talking about a muamua as a potential extraterrestrial object. <laughs> uh, and it all goes hand in hand. It's all uh, important to a certain extent. Yeah, I love people like him because, uh, you know, I had a chance to talk with him as well. Very learned, obviously. I believe he's from Harvard, if I remember correctly. And um, just, uh, you know, he leaves space for both the reality of science, but also the fact there are realms and things that we don't understand and there may be greater explanations. I love when um, scientists try to bridge those gaps. I think that's great. Do you find yourself intrigued more by certain types of phenomena than others like are you more are you more attracted to ghost stories versus uh, abduction stories or ufo sightings well i think the subject that really gets me the most is that of the afterlife because uh, as i often say on my shows it's one of those things where we're not all going to see bigfoot We're not all going to see a ghost and and many of us won't see a UFO in the course of our lifetimes, but we're all going to die. And I think maybe not the UFO question, but I think that the answer to the afterlife 
is partially the key to the answer of much of it. Certainly things like ghosts are at least part of the answer. So to me, the biggest question is what happens after we die? And it is an entirely selfish question. It's a question that's selfish because, heck, I want to know, you know, do, you know, if, you know, if I tried to do a pretty good deal in this life and be pretty decent to people and try to do the right thing, not perfect. Am I going to have a nice existence? Or like some people say, hey, if I don't follow this dogma, uh, every jot and tittle of of this particular dogma, I'm going to burn in hell for eternity. You know, I'd like to know that. Or if it's just a big black void. I don't think it's a big black void. I mean, I look at the probably the experience that I'm almost most interested in is the near-death experience. And we've had great guests on uh, talking about that. And uh, I think um, I think his name is, I'll have to look him up. We had a gentleman uh, on um, a few months ago who had a book called After. And it was just, uh, it was just um, fantastic. And his first name's Bruce, but I can't remember the last name right now. I'll figure it out. But um, that was, again, somebody that didn't have a strong belief in the paranormal, but through his practice as a doctor, I believe he's a psychiatrist or a psychologist, he came to believe that the afterlife is a real thing. And these NDEs where people not only explain, you know, the white light and the feeling of love and all these things. I mean, a lot of that could be explained away as kind of like chemicals in the brain, but where they can report things that happened around them. You know, they're flatlining and they can explain in detail what the medical staff is doing to them. And they're, they're over overhead. How do you explain that away? Because I know that the skeptics say, oh, it's the throes of a dying brain and the tunnel of light and the euphoria and all this stuff. That's what the, you know, astronauts experience when they ride the vomit comet. And I mean, yeah, there could be some truth to that. But again, I go back to how do you explain the ability of someone who's in some cases who is in the middle of an NDA being able to come back explaining things that were, you know, not the view point of view from their body, but above and things that they couldn't have possibly seen through any conventional means. How do you explain that? When you explain that to me, I can say, OK, I buy your, you know, throws of a dying brain argument. But you got to explain that to me first. So I believe in an afterlife. I think it's the ultimate question. The other questions, you know, the question of aliens, that's fascinating to me. And I think, as we said uh, before we started rolling even, I think that's a question that just may explode here any time now. And I think it's very likely that they're aliens. But even even more importantly, what happens when I die? You know, that's the most important question. Again, from a purely selfish standpoint. But I guess in a way that's good because that ties back to what I said about in search of when I was a little kid. People think, you know, this is my full-time job now. And people say, oh, he does this because, you know, he makes a living at it, he makes money at it, blah, blah, blah. Yes, is the way that I make a living. But it started, and it has continued with a thread of a very selfish interest. And I'm very interested in this material. And even though I've probably done over 2,500 episodes of my various shows, plus and free, I'm still interested. And that's kind of cool. You know what story you had on recently that really me up? 
Which and one? I'll bleep this. That way we don't get flagged by the algorithm. Because <laughs> they will do it. Uh, you had this woman on recently. It might have been in one of the newest episodes or or second to newest. But she was a kid camping and she woke up and all her all her friends were missing from their sleeping bags. And then Yeah, that was one, weird. Oh, my God. That was so creepy. I, I think her name was Rose. Yeah. 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 Uh, but just to have had that one person left behind and then suddenly they're all back in like, I don't know how long it was, like an hour or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, the abduction phenomena and who knows, maybe that's what happened to her. Maybe not. But, um, you know, going back to Betty and Barney Hill, um, we're actually going to be doing an episode on that. My daughter has started doing a podcast, and this will be her second season of doing it uh, coming up this spring. And one of the stories will be Betty and Barney Hill, because I think that's such a seminal experience and so vibrant. Uh, but that's one that fascinates me. And I, I got to tell you, I mean, here's where I have a problem. You know, people say, well, the aliens are our space brothers, and they're just here to help us. And I mean, that may be the case in some cases, but if alien experience, alien abduction experiences are to be believed and the experiencers are to be believed, there's some really disturbing stuff. I mean, I've interviewed Whitley Strieber and, and the things that he told me did not seem like the actions of our space brothers. That being said, many people have made the point, and I think it's a fair point, that if there are, in fact, aliens visiting the Earth, it's entirely possible, maybe even probable, that they are from, you know, it's just like humans, right? There's some great humans. And, you know, some some humans, you know, if they find you uh, and you need help, they'll give you some money, they'll give you a bowl of soup, you know, they'll take care of you. And, and others will, you know, rob you and take what little you have. You know, there's different kinds of people. So it would make sense to me that there are different kinds of aliens. But but this idea that that E.T. or aliens are universally positive and just looking out for us, that doesn't make sense to me either, because you have the unless the experiencers are either mis misconstruing or if they're misrepresenting what's happened to them, but if they're to be believed, some of these are pretty negative things. You know, so I'm a little leery. I mean, I, I, I go back on my shows all the time to this. If you think about humanity, any time a technologically inferior society, maybe spiritually they're way ahead, but technologically if they are inferior and they meet a technologically superior group of people, it doesn't work out with the people without the tech. Now, if aliens are, um, you know, nuts and bolts, beings and craft, by definition, they would have to be way more technologically advanced than we are. So I don't know that that bodes well for us. But on the other hand, if they wanted to take us out, you know, uh, I mean, People believe that that UFOs are mentioned in the Bible. Christopher Columbus uh, made record of uh, USOs. So they've been around a long time. If they wanted to take us out, they could take us out. So, again, it's one of these, well, on one hand this and on the other hand that. 
Yeah, well, time and time again, uh, I, you know, I, I always come to this hypothesis that whether they're, whatever they are, wherever they're from, uh, it's clear that there's, there's different personalities involved. And, and to a certain extent, I even at one point developed this hypothesis that what if all the negative stuff people are encountering are some kind of cult? And then you have all these people who are having these great experiences where they're getting these downloads that change their lives, which wouldn't, to me, wouldn't, it doesn't seem like it would come from somebody who's willing to abduct people and torture them. <laughs> right. Uh, and um, if we can have cults, certainly anybody else can have a cult. <laughs> yeah, and I think that goes back to, you know, that goes back to this idea that it doesn't have to be all one way or all the other. You know, there could be the good aliens and there could be the not so good aliens. I think to me that would seem like the most probable possibility if you think about it. There's some that are probably fantastic and then there's probably some that aren't so fantastic. If it's even aliens, that gets back to that question. I did want to mention one thing. I had brought up a book. We'd done an interview on NDEs. It was Dr. Bruce Grayson, and the book was After a Doctor Explores What Near-Death Experiences Reveal About Life and Beyond. Dr. Bruce Grayson, that's with an E. Very good guest. Very, very interesting. I'll look him up right after I hang up. Um, you know, I, I saw an interview recently, and you might be interested, uh, if you haven't seen it already, it's on YouTube, and I'll put a link to it in the description as soon as I... Am, am able to hunt it down. Uh, but this woman was talking about her near-death experience, and she might be interesting to talk to. Uh, she was out, like, seriously dead for two hours. Mm -hmm. She said she was in a void for 15 years. Wow. And she was describing the time difference, and she just waited in this void for 15 straight years, no contact with anyone, nothing to do. And she was just there. And then at one point she encountered, she calls this entity God, but um, we'll just say she encountered an entity who said that everything has been misunderstood. And then this entity went on to explain uh, her purpose in reality. And that it, he, he, he or she, she describes him as a he, was uh, talking about, thought energy and how every time she thought negatively of someone that thought attached itself to that person and uh, uh, pushed that person more to becoming what she thought that person would be or huh. is. So if I, I say, well, Jim Harold, you're kind of an asshole. That thought would, you wouldn't be the first, by the way, you wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't be the first. Yeah. Uh, and, and and that comes back to me constantly. I'm an asshole. Um, but that would attach to you, and you would slowly become what I think you are. And, of course, I don't think you're an asshole, but this, it's just uh, an example. And so right, sure. she was told to come back, uh, that she wasn't finished, because there were a lot of people who have become not-so-good people because of the way she judged them. Uh, in her younger years. And I thought that that was wow. really interesting. But uh, uh, 
the reason I bring it up, one, obviously you're into NDEs, into the NDE subject, but two, it goes into, uh, I saw these films by this doctor who invented a meditation where it's all based on using thought to bring crafts for, uh, forward to be filmed or whatever. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you? Uh, I've heard of it, yeah, but I can't like, remember it's a like name. A CE five, uh, a CE five. I've heard of this, but I can't yeah. remember. Yeah, who it was. it's it's um, this guy invented a meditation where you use thought to summon UFOs. It seems like a lot of people do it, and it really works for them because there's it's all over YouTube, and it's the only connection that I've been able to find between some corner of the UFO sphere and death because it's all you know, in thought. You know who else says that it, it has something to do with death? And I talked about him earlier, Whitley Strieber. And I can't remember the, I may be getting the context wrong. So you'll have to go back to his source material and check this out. But I think it was in a discussion with his wife, uh, his late wife, I believe Ann Strieber, and, and, and something came across to her that the others, because I don't think he calls them aliens, I think he calls them the others, that it has something to do with death. So look that up. I always, when I'm not clear on a concept or I'm just kind of bringing in and fuzzily, I would say check the source material, check back with Whitley Strieber on that. But but I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, uh, obviously. Uh, but th that's another thing that I've heard time and time again, and you've probably heard the same thing from people who look at one aspect of all this stuff, is that when you start looking into ghosts, then somehow a piece that has something to do with UFOs comes in, or a piece of this. You know, for example, there's a big uh, uh, coincidence, according to some researchers, of UFO sightings in Bigfoot. Um and it seems like, you know, going back to that old In Search Of uh, example, they used to talk about, we'll talk about UFOs, we'll talk about ghosts, we'll talk about strange creatures, or however they put, but the idea is everything was very siloed. And the more researchers that I talk to, and, and although it kind of just doesn't seem to make a whole heck of a lot of sense, is that all of this stuff is somehow connected. You know, that there is some kind of connection between UFOs and ghosts um, or UFOs and, and strange cryptid creatures or whatever it might be. I don't know that there is, but it, it, it sure seems that way. And, and also, I always wonder about a trickster element. You know, this idea, you know, the, the I don't know if it was Nietzsche, whatever, if you look into the abyss, uh, stare into the abyss long enough, it'll, it'll stare back. And it seems like sometimes these phenomena for lack of a better phrase, are messing with us. Like, oh, you think you got it figured out? You got to think, think you got it figured out. Well, what about this? You know, so it almost seems like, you know, the old uh, wave particle duality and the whole idea of the, uh, the act of the observer does, I forget the exact phrase, but the idea does the act of observation actually change the observed, you know, um, do we change the phenomena by looking at it? Do we create the phenomena partially through things like thought forms? 
Yeah, yeah, and that, that gets back to the question that you have yeah, on your website, and I actually I wrote it down because I wanted to talk about that. Is is yeah. a woman? So I mean, that goes back. That goes, yeah, that goes back to the old uh, uh, idea that that we're interacting with the, the the paranormal, and it's not just you know, it's not just something objective. It goes back to the question of reality. But I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, we're here to interrupt each other. Uh, so Marie Marie Jones wrote an article. Yes. Uh, is a ha- is a haunted house really haunted if there's no one to see the haunting? Yeah, yeah. That's and I got to be honest. That's been several years ago, so yeah. I, I I don't remember it that well. I had some really good writers doing some writing for me for well, a while. Did, well, I'll put a link to it in the description. But she she did a good job at at uh, taking and explaining. Uh, the double slit experiment and superposition yes. and kind of explaining away, well, if there's nobody there to see an orb, will the orb be there? Right. Probably right. not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I probably don't. not. And by the way, I got to say, we still have um, uh, Maddie Hilker. Madeline Hilker is doing a lot of writing for us these days uh, with our Unpleasant Dreams podcast. So there's uh, she has a lot of articles up at jimherald.com now, which are... I think very, very nice articles on different uh, phenomena. And basically we take that script and and create uh, a version of it for our Unpleasant Dreams podcast. So uh, there's still uh, over jimherald.com. There's still some good articles if you, you want to check them out. And of course, uh, when we were doing something called the Paranormal Brain Trust, uh, that archive of all those articles are there too. Yeah, you have a lot of podcasts. I was just going down the list this morning. Um, and there was one that you were promoting recently where I wasn't sure. What Did you say that you had an apartment that was shot up by a Kalashnikov rifle? Yes, I did. It's absolutely <laughs> did I just true. Hear that? <laughs> what you happened? heard it correctly. Well, here's what happened. I'm starting a new show. Actually, uh, a non-paranormal show, which we don't do very much. But this one's with my wife. And it's kind of like Campfire Without the Paranormal. It's going to be called... Uh, you won't believe what happened to me. And uh, people can submit their stories at won'tbelieve.com. And uh, the idea is basically if you've had something incredible happen to you. Uh, not paranormal. Definitely not paranormal. That's for my show, Jim Harold's Campfire. But this show will be just wild stories that have happened to you in the course of your life that are just kind of unusual. And my story, if you want me to share it quickly is I was about about 24 years old and I had my um my first uh, apartment as a full-fledged grown-up I was working full-time it was like half of an A-frame house and I just earlier that week signed the papers to move out to more suburban area but this was in the city of Cleveland I'm from Cleveland and grew up actually in the city not in the suburb but I'd moved to an area and that's funnily enough the area that I had this apartment and was considered better than where I grew up because I didn't grow up in the best neighborhood. So anyway, I had the front half of an old A-frame style house. And one uh, Saturday, uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, we decided we were going to go with some friends to Cedar Point, which is a big amusement park here in Ohio, which is about an hour and a half away from where I lived. So uh, we went, we had a good time. I drove my wife back to her home, which was about 35 minutes, 40 minutes from where I lived. 
And she said, uh, you know, you can't go back. You're going to fall asleep. It was like two o'clock in the morning. You're going to fall asleep. Uh, you know, I'm going to ask my dad, because she was living at home because she was going to grad school. Let me ask my dad if you can sleep on the couch. I'm like, no, 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 because we'd only been going out a couple months, three, four months. And she said, no, 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 I'm going to ask. She did. So I slept over, went back to my house. And this could be considered potentially paranormal, maybe if you stretch it a little bit. And the the guy that lived in the back, which was the son of the landlord, who was a great guy, was pointing at, at the house. And I walked up. And I didn't even think it was anything with our house. I thought it was one of the other houses. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, and uh, he said, I got to talk to him in it. And I'm like, what? And he's like, there's been a drive by. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Whose house got shot up? He's like, our house got shot up. <laughs> I still have a piece of the shrapnel. I have actual pictures. Um, AK-47, several rounds went into the lower level. I actually slept on the upper level. So I might have been okay. Might have been okay if I'd been there. My uh, double-door refrigerator took a, a hit, direct hit, hit a bottle of ketchup and came out the other side. Uh, my microwave took a direct hit, uh, that I had recently purchased. It was maybe three months old. And, um, turns out that, uh, the, uh, group next door had crossed a motorcycle gang and they didn't take to it too kindly, but their sense of color was not very good. Um, our house was, uh, dark blue. Their house was light blue. And under the streetlights at 3 o'clock in the morning, our house looked blue, their house looked white. They hit the wrong house. Mm. And now you know the rest of the story. Um, now, I have always wondered, if you think about fate, was there a reason that I stayed over that night, other than falling asleep at the wheel? Did something or someone tell my wife, now my wife, hey, have him stay Something's going to happen. And and I always wonder about those kind of stories because there's two sides of that. You know, you think about the World Trade Center, 9-11, all the people who were late because uh, they had a dental appointment or their kids were late for school or some other reason and they weren't there. But then you think about the other people who are maybe there by chance. They wouldn't normally be there or they were on time, weren't they? Why weren't they late? Why are some people if if there's some kind of force out there acting to save people through delays or things like that, why are some people spared? Why why are somebody people sleeping on the couch yet other people are in the middle getting shot up? You know, well, yeah, I, I don't know, but that's not the first time I've heard that occur. Where, I mean, obviously you've probably heard it more than I have. I remember one of the unsolved mysteries episodes from the 90s that still stays with me is this these people who were supposed to go to a church in, in the evening to do a rehearsal uh, or, or, or some sort of thing and every single one of them was late and the moment they arrived the church blew up and had any of them been on time which they were every other time before they would have all right. been dead yeah yeah um, yeah no i've often wondered if um a greater force or something said no you're going to be sleeping on Dar's couch tonight, you know, and, and, and again, the things that, cause I typically didn't spend a lot of nights away from home. I was always usually in my bed. I was pretty boring even as a single guy. So, you know, 
by 12, 12.30, I'd be in bed, you know. Now, again, the rounds hit on the lower floor, so maybe I would have just had a big fright, you know, and I would have been fine. But I might have gone down, downstairs. Was It was kind of weirdly laid out. The downstairs was the kitchen. Maybe I would have been thirsty and maybe 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, maybe I would have went downstairs and gotten a drink of water, you know, or maybe these people were lying in wait looking for shadows, you know, through the window. You know, I don't know. All I know is that the house was terribly shot up. If I'd been hit, I would have been badly hurt or likely killed. And I wasn't there. And I probably should have been there. Well, um, going back to 9-11, I, I don't remember where this story's from. Uh, if I find it, I'll cite it. But um, there was a story of a mother talking about her son, uh, who I think the family lived in Connecticut. He was from Connecticut, but he was living in New York, and he had gone back to visit his mom. And he says, well, I have to go back to New York because I think there's something big I'm supposed to do. I don't know what it is. And right. there was a sense that he was never going to see her again. She got the sense that he knew he was never going to see her again. He didn't know why. He went back to New York and 9-11 happens like maybe two days later and he, he's one of the missing. And weeks later, maybe months later, uh, maybe a year later, I don't know the timing of this, she reads about a man who was instrumental in getting people down the stairs as fast as possible. And he, he was cited as having saved many lives. And the way they described him was her son. Everything he wow. wore, everything down, and he was killed on 9-11. And wow. his, this big thing he was supposed to do was save all these people and die, apparently. Um, wow. Yeah. And again, it goes to, you know, questions of a higher power. It goes to, you know, it's a lot of big questions, but, but something's definitely going on. Yeah. Um. Well, uh, I think the NDE experiences could definitely shed shed more light on a lot of that. Uh, as I, I do, I do listen to interviews of people who have had those experiences. Uh, I would say m- just a little bit more than abduction experiences. Those, those are my two obsessions. And um, there's this one hypothesis where uh, I don't know how much I believe it because I, I generally don't like the idea but just because i don't like something doesn't mean there's no truth to it but right that we select what the big moves are going to be in our lives ahead of time i find that interesting just as a concept yeah it is it is interesting because you know i i think in most of our lives we can point to kind of inflection points where if we had made a right instead of a left, um, things would be drastically different. Maybe it's not something as drastic as sleeping on the couch and avoiding being turned into a piece of human Swiss cheese. But I think about my wife and how we met, and it was so much by happenstance. You know, I'm um, I'm getting up there in age, you know, and... Uh, I'm in my early 50s, just to be in full transparency. And uh, when I went to school, you had these course catalogs. And um, 
you picked your classes from those. I mean, the computerized stuff. I mean, yes, we had computers, but the registration process wasn't really um, like it is now where you pick stuff on the computer. You pick it, then you go to a place where someone would, like they would enter it into the computer. It was kind of funny by today's standards. But anyway, you pick a course catalog. And I was focusing on, I needed some science credit. I like science, but I didn't want to do anything too taxing because I was a very kind of go-getter in broadcasting and worked on that very hard. And I said, if it's not a core class for me, I'm not going to knock myself out with a heavy-duty lab or something like that. So they had this one called Science and Religion, which was really interesting because it actually kind of ties into the kind of things we talk about on the shows to some extent. And um, and that was the wave-particle duality where I was introduced to that. But anyway, you know, I could have just as easily have picked another class or just said, you know what, I'm going to wait and do my science credit this next quarter, this next semester. And uh, I didn't, and I ended up, through, quote, coincidence, being in a group with my wife, um, because we had uh, last names, had similar letters, and um, we lost touch, but then we regained, we got back in touch, and we ended up avoiding the AK-47 and getting married and having two kids. And we're still happily married today. But again... It all hinged on selecting that course. Same with her. She could have picked a different course. And we view these things as coincidences in our lives. And to your point about pre-selecting things, sometimes I wonder if they really are always, sometimes they are, but are they always uh, coincidences? I don't know. Yeah. Or uh, one of the other hypotheses is, and this is the one that at this time in my life makes the most sense to me is maybe there is some level of intuition that we're unaware of. Yep. That makes a lot of sense to me. Like maybe in my example, it's like, Hey, you ought to pick this class. It's going to have big implications for you. Lifelong implications. You know, I think that makes a lot of sense too. The reason, the reason I warm to it is because, uh, my mother apparently had, a lot of recurring dreams, premonitions, mm-hmm. and intuitions. You know, and she had three kids. Every single one of them, were, for the most part, were focused on me. So, of course, I had a, a major interest in these. I'm like, all right, what about me? Uh, come on. You know, as a 10, 11-year-old kid being told these, this, uh, you, you, have to, I, I, you have to understand why I thought for a long time I was special. <laughs> uh, I don't know that special has anything to do with it, to be honest. But, you know, when she was 11, she said she would have recurring dreams about a mother getting medicine for a sick baby. Hmm. And she would have it again and again and again. And then when she was pregnant with me, she would have it literally every night for nine months. Same dream from the same perspective. And then when I was three and it was clear that I was a very, very sick baby, she acted out that dream. She was the mother, and wow. uh, she never had the dream again when she had that realization. And it's shit like this that has always intrigued me uh, because I think she had that intuition on 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 a big level. Like if right if we have these this these subtle things that we don't we're not aware we're making these decisions for a reason. Uh, 
she was somehow aware when it was happening. So like, she knew when there would be a cop around the corner and, and just could slow down, even if she's never been on a road before. Wow. Yeah, she she saw me drowning at one point, and it was happening in real time while she was doing the dishes. And I, I grew up on an island off the coast of Maine, so what we would do is we'd swim off the main pier where the, where the ferry would land. She saw mm-hmm. me drowning off there at the time when these bullies weren't letting me come up out of the water. And and I thought, and she sent my dad to go get me. She's like, you know, your, your son's about to drown. You should go get him. You know, <laughs> that's how she would wow. talk. Wow. Uh, very as a matter of factly. And he came down to get me and he grilled out these these bullies. They were summer people who uh, were very privileged. And uh, yeah, I, again and again and again, that stuff happens. And so I, I do think that we all have it to a certain extent. I think that, uh, you know, you don't need to see your house getting blown away to be like, we're not staying here tonight. It's just, right. it, it, it comes, it comes in, it falls in to line in just natural sort of rearranging of schedules, that sort of thing. Well, you know, there's two, there, there's two things that that reminded me of, and they're not exactly parallels, but the, this idea that we tap into something greater, some database of knowledge one was an experience of one of, uh, and again, sometimes when I think of these stories off the top of my head, I may not get every detail right, but it's the gist. This was a young woman I called, and she talked about this dream she had where um, she was with her mom, but she didn't see herself. She was with her mom, and she was at a carnival. Uh, they were Ferris wheel. It was obviously they were at a carnival. And her mom was wearing this very distinctive dress. I think it was pink with polka dots or something you would remember. And she asked her mom, she said, you know, I had this dream. I had this memory. I don't know. It was a dream or a memory. Very distinct memory of being at a carnival with you. And you were wearing um, a dress with pink polka dots. And she said, oh, my goodness. She said, yes, we were we were both at the carnival. And I was wearing the dress with the pink polka dots. The only thing that's unusual, you remember that, that's kind of funny, funny because that's when I was pregnant with you. <laughs> and I'm like, where does that come from? Where does that come from? And I, and, the, and I think the point was made in the story. Very specifically, I did not tell, there had been no communication about this carnival. Or this incident, this wasn't like a memory that had been suppressed. There had been a discussion, and years later it came out as this false memory. This is something they'd never talked to each other about because there was no reason to. It was before she was born. Then there was another story that, that's somewhat different, but kind of again tapping into some kind of universal knowledge field. Um, a story, I think it was Canada. And uh, our caller, I think, took her, uh, her aunt or somebody to go, or her, no, her aunt went to the downtown area of wherever they live to go to some kind of meeting in an office building. So she, this is like three o'clock in the afternoon. And, or no, it's at noon. It's at noon. And uh, she goes to this meeting. She comes out. I don't know. And and she sees a con- there's construction workers and a scaffolding, and she literally in front of her eyes sees a constructor uh, construction worker fall to their death. 
And she's looking around and it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this just happened in front of me. And then she looks again and everything looks normal. There's no sign of a construction worker. Everybody's going about their business like it never happened. And then she comes home and she's distraught. She's like, oh my God, I saw this thing and it didn't happen. She checked the news and there was no report. And then like on the 11 o'clock news, and remember, she was there at noon. She was there at noon. She said, horrible news out of the downtown area today at about 3 p.m. So-and-so place, a construction worker fell to his death. She saw it three hours before it happened. Now, I, I, I mean, there's two possibilities here as I see it. One, somebody's lying, which I don't believe is the case. Or two, this is some indication of what you said before of reality not being what we think it is. I can't think of a, quote, logical explanation for that happening other than those two things. Yeah, and going back to our initial conversation about the different con- hypotheses and all that, like there are things that could make the more more sense depending on who you are. Like, you know, uh, at this moment in my life, the thing that makes more sense to me is data, uh, and and I'm sure you've heard again and again people talk about simulation theory and the idea that the universe is a, is a simulation and. There was another podcast. I don't remember which one it was because I listened to so many. And they were talking about this this theory that if it's a simulation, that maybe there's sort of a ribbon around the universe, kind of like the like a, just like a like a ribbon of data. And mm-hmm. when you die, everything you've learned, everything you've experienced goes into this ribbon. And so uh, they were, I don't. I, could, I wish I could remember the podcast, but they were describing like, what if, you know, you you're trying to communicate with the dead, and instead of your grandmother coming, it's data from this ribbon, and it knows exactly what the conversation would right. be. Right. Right. Uh, and and I'm wondering, like, well, I'm not wondering. I guess I'm just shooting the shit here. But the thing that explains it the best to me at this moment is that it's data you're accessing or it's data that somebody's accessing and they don't even realize it. This woman is accessing the data that this thing's going to happen because three hours from now, it's hard to change, change it. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, here's the other thing is that that kind of thought, like there's this interview, uh, this universal field of knowledge um, is if you hear songwriters or authors, many times they'll say, you know, you'll hear about somebody who has like a huge hit and it's like their career defining hit. And they say, well, I wrote it in 10 minutes on the back of a paper bag. It just came to me and it just kept flowing and I didn't know where it came from. And it turns out to be the biggest thing they've ever done. But they don't know. You hear authors all the time say, it. I, you know, I wrote this novel and just like the characters came to life. I don't know where they came from. And you, you wonder, uh, or... The other example is really fascinating when you have people who are working on the same kinds of inventions clear across the world, particularly, I mean, now you have the internet. I mean, everybody's pretty much connected, but you know, in years past people working on the same types of inventions and things at exactly the same time, but being fully unaware of what the other one was doing halfway across the world. 
and and many times working on the same ideas and coming up with the same ideas independently, quote, but somehow they're tapping into the same thing. And th- that to me is, um, you know, that's, again, that gets back to that. Qu- I, I think that the, the center of this is the nature of reality. You called it from the beginning of the discussion. Yeah, and, uh, well, I mean, we're going to be wrapping this up shortly, but I think that's a good, that's a good uh, way to wrap this up is uh, go back to the beginning. We don't know anything about reality. We're seeing through a keyhole, right? Mm-hmm. And uh question is, how do we get through the door? I want to read some of those books. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it would be nice. You know, even if I can't get the whole library, I'd like to have one or two of the volumes to kind of understand what's going on. Exactly. Uh, Well, Eric, thanks so much for having me on the show. It's been a very heady conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And uh, I hope that people will check out my shows. I can find them at uh, jimherald.com or they can just search on their podcast uh, app of their choice uh, for Jim Harold H-A-R-O-L-D, and find them. Jim Harold's Campfire, Spooky Stories, the Paranormal Podcast, Spooky Interviews with Authors and Experts. And they can also check out uh, my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Jim Harold. And Eric, thank you again. And it's been a real pleasure to be with you and your audience. Thank you. It's been a pleasure as well. And all those links will be in the description to make it as easy as possible to find. Thanks, Eric. Right. You have a great day. Nice to meet you. And Likewise. thanks again for asking me. Bye-bye. Bye. Five, four, three, two. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you have a moment, please consider subscribing to the show wherever you listen. And if the app allows for it, please leave a rating and review. That way, the algorithm moves us up in recommendations. It's a great way for new listeners to find our show. Thanks, and I'll see you on the next episode.